Hi, welcome back to the podcast. It's China Manufacturing Decoded from the Sophist Group. This is episode 172, by the way. I'm Adrian from the team and Andrew Amanovin, our head of new product development and reliability expert, joins me again today. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Adrian. Good to be here. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. You know that I've just been over in China, but I'm now back in the UK. Yeah, I think I'm over the jet lag. I think you probably listened to mine and Renault's podcast episode oh, a few weeks ago where we gave our thoughts about how China has changed for foreign visitors recently. So certainly I enjoyed it, but I'm happy to be home too. Well, good to have you back. And I think mm. a really interesting subject to discuss today, right? Yes. And I mentioned that uh, reliability is your thing. Now, you've you've kind of mentioned product reliability in different ways when you've been writing some blog posts for Agilion or indeed here on the podcast. Today, I want to approach what you would kind of go through if somebody approaches us and says, I have no idea what reliability testing I need for my consumer products. Maybe it's an electronic device or an electromechanical device, perhaps something like that. That's that's something that typically we would probably be working with in, in many cases for for our customers so they don't know really where to start with reliability testing and i don't know whether some of the listeners might be in that situation so i think if we discuss this question the aim is to help them understand you know the situation better about reliability testing what they need how they approach it the sort of information that's going to be required what what we go through before we start andrew Let's just quickly introduce product reliability. Why should everybody be conscious of this? Yeah, and I think that's really critical because, I mean, if someone comes and comes to me and says, I have no idea what reliability testing I need, the first question I would ask him, well, do you know what reliability is? Because mm. it's going to be very difficult for me to explain what kind of reliability testing he needs if he doesn't understand what reliability, what reliability is for. So I think... Uh, it's very important for our uh, listeners and you know customers that they need to understand if they're in this kind of a position where they have no idea what reliability testing is required for their product, they need to understand what reliability means. Well, reliability yeah. means that they have a product that there is an expectation of how long that product is going to be uh, lasting and operating. Uh, within specification, meaning that, you know, it was designed and built exactly uh, high quality to actual design specifications, right? Okay, met everything. But now we want to test, we want to make sure it's going to last as long as it was supposed to be lasting in terms of operation. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, something was supposed to be uh, lasting two years of operation, then that's what you're hoping that it will last. And, and if it does, then you would say, okay, this is a reliable product. You know, yeah. like, for example, most cars are made to last at least 20, 30 years, right? So oh, yeah. so then, you know, how do you test that? You have to make sure uh, that um, the, the right reliability testing strategies put in effect that it actually identifies and uh, confirms uh, that this car will be actually lasting that long 
if you don't have this kind of a uh, understanding of what reliability is, it's going to be very difficult for you and I to explain, you know, what kind of testing is required because a lot of these tests and tests are very technical. And uh, when when you boil down and get into the nitty gritty, uh, it can get really complicated for some of our listeners who are not necessarily technical. But in general, I think that uh, our listeners, once they have understood what reliability means, I think they have a pretty good understanding of what we're talking about today. Good, yeah. And when we talk about project reliability, it's not the same as quality, is it? That's sometimes a misunderstanding. Right. So it really isn't, but they are intertwined and in somehow in some ways they're related. So when you hmm. see most people, when they say a high quality product, they really mean high reliability product because they, they like it. The fact that it's lasting a long time, not breaking down, not giving them headache. Right. But in reality, when you're talking about quality, you're talking about the build, how it was designed and how it was built. If it was built exactly how it was designed, then it's a quality product. But, it, mm. you know, you could have a Mercedes-Benz that was designed wonderful, exactly manufactured to how it was designed. But you drive it down the street and it will fail. That means mm. it's high quality, but low reliability. So... Mm. So reliability, on the other hand, means how long the product is going to last. Is it going to last as long as it was stated in the design specification? You know, so and and that's the difference between the quality and reliability. Mm, I think the luxury car mark example is a good one, actually, because I think probably a lot of listeners might be aware that. You know, when you look at the German cars or maybe cars like Land Rovers and cars like this, they're expensive cars. These are big ticket items, right? But they're not actually well known for reliability a lot of the time these days. Well, yeah, I mean, they're pretty reliable, let's say, for the first uh, few years, I think. Mm. Uh, and, and the reason, um, unfortunately, they are known that way is because of the fact that they're precision machines, right? They're very... You know, the tolerance uh, on those uh, is very little. You know, if there is a small change, it will really affect the performance. On the other hand, you know, a car like Toyota, you know, can take a lot. And uh, and those are the ones that usually when we talk about reliable cars, we talk about reliable Toyotas and uh, more often Japanese cars. Mm, absolutely. Okay, so... Let's get back to the task at hand then, right? If, if um, let's say a customer approaches you and they say, Andrew, I, I really have no idea what sort of reliability testing I need for my product. That's, it's kind of a vague question, right? So what, what, how would you, how would you react to that? What sort of questions might you ask them? Well, I think the, the first and important, most important question I want to know is that what industry this product is coming from, you know, for example, is it a medical industry product it's a medical product mm. is it a industry industrial product like you know i mean i'm, I'm being facetious but it could be like a bulldozer bulldozer uh, or some something really heavy machinery you sure, know sure. Uh, yeah industrial and then is it a consumer product you know like a tv uh, iphone um you know mo- mobile phone or some kind of a 
uh, power bank. These are consumer electronics. And the way yeah, yeah. the way you approach approach uh, onto doing reliability analysis or reliability testing on each industry totally is different one from another. So, for example, if we talk about um, medical industry, uh, well, you know, there's absolutely no room for failure, right? Somebody's going to mm. die uh, if you make a mistake or somebody's going to die if the equipment fails, right? And, and so in, in, in that sense, compare that to consumer electronics. Okay, so you have a, a mobile phone and you drop it and, and the glass breaks. Well, mm. can't use the mobile phone, but no one gets hurt. Right. right. So that's the, that's kind of a, the difference that I think is very important for our uh, listeners to understand. Um, and, and similarly, you know, when you have uh, industrial product and that industrial product could be anything. Um, in, in some cases, uh, they don't have any kind of a room of failure. You know, if that in- industrial product is going to be, you know, used in very harsh environment, like, for example, on top of a mountain or on in, in some fields that they're making roads or whatever, you can't have uh, everything stop because the equipment just stopped, you know, working. Uh, so you, you, in those kind of situations, you definitely want to make sure that it's a high reliability product. But what I'm trying to get at is that the reliability testing methodology and requirements from one industry to another differs. Not only on criticality of how you're going to test, but also standards that you use to test, uh, test equipments that you use for testing. Sometimes the loss of the test uh, could be, you know, uh, you know, for some of the medical products, it might take a long, long time to actually uh, write a procedure, just how to test, because you have to actually kind of work with a patient for a while to understand the equipment use case before you can actually write the testing procedure, right? And then once you do have everything ready, it it could take a long time in some cases. So time could be one of them. Cost could be another thing. Uh, Some of the tests uh, require very expensive uh, test equipment. I don't know if you know, uh, some of these uh, mobile phones that, for example, have to be tested in the AT&T labs, oh my God, some of these uh, test equipment could be like several million dollars for, for just one analyzer, one, one, one equipment. And that's just a consumer electronic. Imagine if you have to test a very important industry, heavy, industrial heavy machinery and or some serious uh, MRI machine, for example, for medical, uh, if it's a new technology and so forth. So we're talking cost of the test equipment could be uh, very huge. So there could be cost element, there could be time it takes, uh, it could be people and resources uh, that takes to, to do these tests, you know, and it could be different from one another. The standards, you know, so for example, if you're doing the test compliance test, for example, uh, and I'm not, I'm kind of going sidetrack from reliability to compliance, but I'm, I just want to kind of make a point here mm-hmm. uh, that if you're trying to comply, do compliance tests, uh, and you have to do FCC testing, it could be very lengthy, expensive, 
and very detailed, right? Because you're trying to make this product meet a certain regulatory requirement. And in, in that case, in, in that similar situation, if you're trying to uh, have a consumer product that has to meet a certain either consumer and customer and or what we call the, when we say customer, it could be the end user. It could also be, for example, Apple. You know, So if we're trying to build uh, uh, some kind of test equipment so we can do liability testing for Apple, we have to make sure that there's not going to be any kind of a mishap or mistake. And those test equipment need to be precise. They need to meet the requirements of our customers uh, and need to deliver exactly what it, what it was intended to. So generally speaking, I, I think there's a lot of differences. And I would definitely ask and find out what industry their product is from. So mm. once I understand what industry it is, then I the next question would be like, okay, well, what kind of, what type of product do you have? So for example, if it was medical industry, then I would ask, well, what type of product? And they may say it's a heart monitor, or they may say it's an angioplasty. It might, they may say something else, right? Now, if it's a consumer product, they may say, oh, it's just a power bank, uh, except it's something unique. Uh, it's a new idea in power bank. Right. So those are the kind of thing. And then that will give us an idea that, OK, we have a power bank that is in consumer electronic industry. So we know how to test that in that environment, what standards apply and what kind of test equipment applies and whether or not those are available. And then we start creating cases, test plan and testing. Right. So you've gone through, there's quite a lot to think about, isn't there? Because the kind of testing that you're going to do will depend on the kind of products you've got and which industry you're in. You've made that point quite clear. And of course, this could be very different from something that is, I don't know, part of an industrial power grid. And then, you know, a, a, a relatively affordable tablet that somebody buys for their kids. So yeah, of course, reliability needs in the testing you would expect them to be quite different. You know which product and which industry now the customer is coming to you with, right? So now I guess that you want to understand what their reliability needs are for the product? Yeah, I I think that it would definitely help knowing what industry and uh, what type of product it is that is coming from that industry. Because uh, let's just give you an example. So maybe this help. So if it was, for example, a mobile phone, then I know that, okay, most people want to know, want to make sure that their mobile phone screen doesn't break so easily, at least not up to one meter if possible. And, and so we know that the drop test is one of the tests that applies for that mobile phone as a consumer product. But similarly, when we're talking about a medical product, then we're immediately thinking that, okay, we have to keep safety in mind. And then within that, you know, regulation of the safety, okay, so if this is a heart monitor, we want to make sure that the the product is going to connect well. So connectivity is very important. Um, mm. And the fact that it's monitoring exactly within the guidelines, so we will test that. And then uh, reporting or, uh, let's say, um, 
you know, with, with the changes that are happening in the environment, how those are going to affect uh, that test equipment. For example, if the room was too cold or if the room was warm or if somebody accidentally poured a glass of water on it or, you know, I mean, you could come up with all kinds of ideas of what could go wrong in that uh, room where there's a medical equipment. Uh, maybe somebody actually knock it down and drops it from, uh, you know, from the table or shelf or, or the whole equipment, uh, you know, shelves just trip and fall down. You don't want to lose uh, very expensive uh, test equipment. So, uh, but yes, it, it kind of guides us through an understanding of what kind of tests that we need to do. Is there ever an occasion where somebody comes to you and says, I want my product to be able to withstand, I don't know, uh, an extreme temperature, maybe extreme heat or extreme vibration or something like that. And you need to ask them, okay, but why? Why do you believe that you need the product to withstand this? Maybe you have your doubts or maybe you think that it's not enough. Oh, yeah, we, we, we get that kind of a question all the time. Uh, you know, we, we had one customer that uh, wanted to test a, a bottle up to 200 degrees C, which is extremely hot. As you know, water boils at 100 degrees C. So yeah. if you talk about 200 degrees C, we're talking very, very hot temperature. And what's that going to do is that it could affect the entire material that this bottle was made out of. If it's plastic, who knows? Maybe it's going to melt it. If, it, if it's got some kind of content within the, that uh, plastic, maybe it would change or maybe it would uh, you know, destroy it. So in any case, we did have to ask the question, what is it exactly that you want to do? And then mm. once we understood what the client wanted to do, then we said, well, you know, maybe you don't need to do 200 C. Maybe 85 uh, C is plenty enough. And uh, we were able to prove it to them by doing the actual test and showing the results that actually met their requirements. Yeah, that's interesting. I suppose as a, as a customer, you're not always 100% sure. And this is why you're approaching people like us or, or uh, you know, an, a third party to get that kind of advice. It might help to give some examples of common reliability testing requirements for a consumer product, maybe in this case, something like a smartwatch. And that will help to give the listener an idea of the kinds of testing that you'll be thinking about. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, if you got smartwatch as a consumer product, you're probably looking at looking into testing the functionality, maybe t testing the battery life and come up with some durability and reliability testing, you know, for example, drop testing, vibration testing, water ingress, water resistance, dust ingress, mm -hmm. temperature and humidity testing. Uh, and then you probably want to have some environmental testing as well, like accelerate li life testing, high and low temperature testing individually and maybe combined if necessary. You could also go as far as like in the design and development and do actual halt or has testing and manufacturing, for example. Mm. I mean, a lot of things that you could be doing 
Uh, but you need to have an objective. You need to have an idea of why you are actually doing these and what it is that you're going to gain. If you don't understand the whole purpose of each one of the tests, then you're going to spend a lot of time and money on, on testing, but then you won't really necessarily logically be able to analyze the test results and, and actually be able to make some kind of deduction uh, what happened and whether or not you achieved your goal or not. So this is, this is why uh, we help our clients understand, understand what it is that they need to do and why. And then once we do the test, we come back and actually analyze the data and we let them know what does this failure mean? Is it an important failure? Is it critical? Do they need to fix it or they don't need mm. to fix it? And so on. And and that's really, really important. You could have a failure that actually could mean the product is awesome. And you could have a failure exactly opposite. So it all depends on when the product is failing, uh, the failure mechanism and the physical failure. And then uh, analysis of the data gives us a lot of information on what to do next. Right. Okay. That's an interesting point. So what you're saying is a failure can actually be a good thing in some cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for example, if you're doing some test of failure, you know, and you're trying to uh, determine the, let's say, maximum boundaries of your product uh, endurance and, and and your product doesn't fail until beyond what the specified operating requirements are, then that's a good thing. That means the product didn't fail early. It failed eventually. Everything every, eventually fails. But it didn't fail before uh, uh, the operating specifications, but it failed outside the, you know, once it passed what the uh, operating, outside of the uh, operating boundaries. And, and mm. that's really a good thing. Mm. Yeah, I can understand the that. That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. It sounds like there's a little bit of a balancing act between doing enough testing that makes sense and you are being pretty much assured that you've got a reliable product and doing too much, which could be costly and time consuming. And I suppose we do need to talk about the cost a little bit because there is a cost to reliability testing and it's probably not insignificant. But on the other hand, it's an important investment Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's nothing is free and uh, making a product more reliable is definitely not free. Uh, on the other hand, it, it, you know, there's a fine line. How much do you want to make the product reliable? Because, mm. for example, if you want to make a mobile phone that is absolutely rugged and durable, then it's going to look like a block. I mean, yes. it's never going to look beautiful. You, you first you practically are going to case it into something that is just not going to look attractive, right? So I'm yeah. not exaggerating, but that's what it comes down to. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, once you figure out the, the fine line, there's still uh, money to be spent on make the product reliable. For example, maybe uh, if, if we're talking about um, smartwatch, maybe maybe you're talking about uh, sapphire glass or I don't know gorilla glass or something that yeah. doesn't easily crack when you accidentally just knock your arm your watch uh, on a corner somewhere 
And then components inside, they all need to be, for example, shock resistance, water resistant, and uh, vibration resistant, and dust resistant. So having all of these type of things uh, requires very specialty components, right? Those specialty components are not going to be cheap. And then the fact of the matter that you know, the fact that you want to make such a good product, you probably need very high-end engineers and designers who have experience in that. So they're not going to be cheap. So so all in all, reliability definitely costs. We're talking about, for example, when it comes to cost, you could spend a lot of money uh, uh, on making a product reliable. And in some cases, if you don't understand why something is expensive in terms of reliability, it might it might seem kind of odd and strange. I think mm. it's uh, a while back when I was watching CNN, I saw there was a discussion in U.S. Congress, and the, the congressman was saying something about the fact that, uh, hey, you know, why this screw is costing um, American taxpayer over $40 for one screw. And and I thought about that for a minute. And, and again, I, I, I can't remember exactly what company, what project they were talking about, but definitely they were talking about a very, very expensive screw. But think about it. If that screw is going to be, for example, used on, on a airspace project, you know, yeah. that's going to go to the space. Well, it has to literally meet all kinds of requirements. We're talking very, very cold temperatures, you know, below 100 C. Uh, it has to be able to uh, be flexible and durable and not break so easily at, at those temperatures in case, you know, you have to use them. And similarly, hot temperatures and radiation, for example. And so, you know, if the customer asked for the supplier, I need this kind of screw that can meet this kind of requirement. Uh, well, they need to actually go and not only design such a screw, which could be totally, you know, new, new screw, never ever been built. So every time you're designing and building a completely new product, there is an R&D expense, right? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, then you have to come back and actually test these screws. So you probably need to, for example, take hundred or thousand screws and then keep doing all these requirements. And when, when whatever is failed, you throw them away, whatever is passing, you keep them. It's called screening. And mm. you're screening them because you want the best screws to be given to your customer uh, because they can't have it failing. And and so that screw is going to have a cost, a piece of cost from R&D, a piece of cost from uh, testing, a piece of cost from everything else that had to be done in order to make that screw and make it uh, meet those requirements. And by the time you add those costs, you're talking a $40 screw. Right. But you can, I, I can imagine this congressman probably getting up in front of Congress all blood and thunder saying it's an outrage how can we be you know ripping off the american taxpayer 40 dollars a screw i can buy a box of screws for five bucks from home depot it's it's ridiculous 
But what he's not taking into account is, as you've mentioned, this is probably, I don't know, used by NASA or something. Right. The cost the cost of that screw failing, so it's not reliable, is basically, you know, the, the space sh- shuttle or the, the rocket, it, it fails, it explodes or something, you know. And so in comparison to the $40 cost for what is probably, you know, one of the best screws that man has ever made, you know, is is a loss of life or a huge loss of, of money and equipment. So, of course, then the $40, we put it into perspective and it looks a lot more reasonable. And this isn't to say that creating right. reliable products is going to be super expensive for the listener. If you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, that sounds really expensive. I think what the point that you're making, though, is what's the cost of poor reliability in comparison to the cost of putting products through the correct testing? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, uh, that, I mean, that's just one argument, right? So you could have yeah. other arguments. Uh, I, I mean, the fact that, um, let's say, a client decides that, okay, I want to make my product very durable. And, and we could be actually thinking the opposite too. So, so the, we have some clients that they have a product that really does not need to be so durable and mm-hmm. so reliable, but... I don't know what it is that they're adamant about it. You know, no, we have to make sure this thing has to go through uh, all of these tests and all of these requirements. And they come up with huge number of test samples and so forth. And it just, just they just add on cost after cost. And that's where we come in and we just kind of try to kind of say, okay, slow down a little bit. Let me ask you some very detailed questions. Who is your mm-hmm. customer? What's the end use case scenario? What's the worst ca- case scenario that this thing could be failing in? What kind of condition? And then by the time we ask a lot of questions, they start realizing that, oh my God, they were going to, they were just about to spend huge amount of dollars on making a product very durable, very reliable that doesn't need to be. Um, mm-hmm. The only time you need a product to be durable is when you have an expected life that needs to be durable. Like let's say a car needs to last for a 30 year life and yeah. um, a, a certain product that maybe has a, a warranty period that exceeds mm-hmm. like five years. Of course, you don't want people returning in five years and then you have to pay, uh, you know, either repair cost and, or you have to give them a brand new product, right? That would mm-hmm. Same. So this is why if you have a warranty period for more than one year, then you better have a really reliable product. Great. And that is a, that's an excellent way to finish this. I think a really good introduction into product reliability. So, you know, from the start, if you're thinking, I know my product probably needs to be reliable, but I have no idea how we approach this. Well, you've just gone through all of the different things that maybe the uh, the customer can be thinking about. So, what what what's my worst case scenarios? You know, what what's the warranty period that I'm going to be offering? You can think about these yourself before you even approach reliability engineers. But then they're going to do the legwork and they're going to come up with, okay, you're probably going to need this level of reliability testing. You're going to want environmental testing. You're going to need to use this kind of testing and they'll be making that sort of plan for you and 
if you've already done some of the groundwork, so you're ready to answer their questions. So why do you want the product to be able to withstand, you know, this level of vibration? If you've already put some thought into that, I think it's going to help the process run along quite smoothly, isn't it? So good, good kind of um, guidance there from you, Andrew. Well, thank you. I hope it helps our listeners. and, and that's Yeah. Absolutely. So thanks for coming on again, Andrew, and everybody who's listening. Thank you. Check out the show notes. We will include some relevant articles on reliability and other uh, points that might be helpful for you. And until next week, we will be back with you again. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.